0: You're listening to Under the Radar Podcast, where artists share their childhood memories, musical inspirations, and the milestones that help shape them and their music. I'm your host, Celine Teoblocki. Welcome to our third episode. Today we're speaking to Caroline Rose. recorded and produced her most recent album, Superstar, in her home studio in Austin, Texas. It's got that throwback 80s sound and is a leap from the earnest country sound of I Will Not Be Afraid, her first label-released album. She followed that with the much-lauded Loner, a stronger, more self-assured album that confronted serious issues head-on with power-pop melodies and production that conveyed a sense of fun. With Superstar, we see her outsized pop ambitions. And who knows what heights that would have reached had the pandemic not hit. Because it not only upended her tour and album cycle, the two year relationship that was blossoming when she started work on Superstar has also now come to an end. In this episode, Caroline takes us on this bumpy ride from slide guitar to vintage synthesizer and gives us a hint of where she might go next.
1: My body
0: What once was
1: pain Is now pleasure of mine Everybody's so quick to stand up Say you gotta try to stay together Gotta ask yourself Is this really what
2: Caroline Rose, and I am currently in my temporary quarantine bedroom in Vermont, and I recently released an album called Superstar. Our album dropped on March 6th, and our last show was March 8th. (laughs) So yeah, it pretty much got its head hacked off. We were in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we were all set up to have a sold-out tour and kind of riding off of this um, high of an album release we had just performed on late night tv which was my first time performing on late night it was my bandmate's birthday uh the night that basically everything got canceled the world seemed to shut down all at once and yeah that was the last time that we went out to a bar (laughs) and that was the last time that i socialized with strangers yeah.
0: So you grew up in New York on Long Island. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in your or with parents that were artists?
2: Well, I think when people imagine artists around my parents' age, I think people think of uh, like very freewheeling, hippie kind of people, and they are not that way at all. Uh, They're very um, more reserved than that. They're very like nice, polite people. And I grew up in a Christian household. Both my parents were um, Sunday school teachers. And so it was this weird mixture of a very open-minded household where we were allowed to think whatever way we want and question whatever we want, um, which both my parents would do. But at the same time, there was, there were rules and, uh, kind of a a direction that we were definitely (laughs) corralled into, so... I looked like a Hanson brother when I was a little kid I idolized Zach Hanson he I just thought he was the coolest he was drummer I looked like him we had the same haircut I dressed like him Um, and so that's really how I remember my childhood I was one of those kids that would I would like take off my shirt and run around the yard and you know be a complete crazy person and always like building forts and stuff Uh, So, yeah, we were definitely encouraged to be wild and explore our imaginations. Um, We weren't allowed to have video games in the house, except for the only video games that I ever played as a kid were all on Mac, Macintosh computers. And back in the day, no one had a Macintosh and and all the games were really bad, like like educational Wishbone Odyssey was one of the games that we could play. And the Titanic game, which I don't think anyone has ever even heard of. And then finally, they made a version of The Sims for a Mac. Just became obsessed with that. And they made a Mac version of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. But that's really it. Yeah, lots of running around I was, I was very, uh, probably eight. As I got a little bit older, I got, you know, really into sports and music. Um, but I was a really interesting child. I definitely beat to my own drum and I had a little uniform that I would, it was like my cool uniform. This is when I learned what my, um, kind of like what individualism is. And I decided that I was going to like dress cool. And I had these, or these black jeans and, um, these little black penny loafers and then I'd always wear like a, a button-down shirt that I would tuck into my jeans and I had this blue blazer and uh these plastic kind of like Ray-Ban looking sunglasses and I would just like plunk around on the guitar or the piano and make music and that was like when I disco- when my parents played me jazz for the first time so <laughs> I think yeah that that was definitely seven seven or eight or nine and yeah those were definitely the day's one I was discovering my uniqueness, but at the same time running around like a crazy person with no clothes on. <laughs> well, fun fact, I, I did want to be a drummer. In fact, um, when I entered the school band... I, I told, uh, you know, you could choose what instrument you want to play. And I told my uh, conductor that I wanted to be a drummer. He was like, there are too many drummers. You need to pick another instrument. And that was the, the beginning and end of my drummer, my career as a drummer, which is funny because I've always wanted to to play. And I've never had a space where I could practice and be loud. So, um... so what was the
0: first <laughs> instrument that you sort of uh, took up? I,
2: well, after that in band, um, I, I played the flute and trombone in band cause I could read, ba- I could read both clefs cause, uh, I also took piano lessons, which I am pretty sure my mom forced me to do. Cause there was a, a music teacher who lived right down the street from us and I would just walk down to her house and we'd do like a 30 minute a day thing. But I hated it because there, there was always homework. And I hated, I hated the idea of making music as like playing music as homework. It just still doesn't sit well with me. Like when I am forced to kind of or when I feel like I'm strong-armed into making something, it just never works. It never works out for me. And then later on, when I discovered the guitar, um, you know, I got a lot better at the guitar, and I briefly played in jazz band. But when I started writing for myself was really when the music stuff took off.
0: How old were you when you sort of started to maybe have the inkling that you could write your own songs? I
2: think I was around... 13, that was, that's definitely the age when you start getting sad (laughs) because it's like, you know, the weight of society and all the peer pressure and, and trying to fit in and be cool. And that's the time when all of that is swirling around and then puberty hits and, and it's like, oh my God, there's just this onslaught of emotion and you're like, what the hell do I do? with all these feelings and I I've always, I've just always been an emotional person. Yeah. When I hit my teen years, that was really when music wasn't just a fun hobby anymore. It was a very important therapy and a way for me to completely channel all my thoughts and
0: feelings and energy. Yeah. And that cha- that changed everything. And um, these songs that you were writing, did you ever perform them or was it just for yourself?
2: I did. I did start performing them. Um, in fact, I remember I did, uh, I won my high school talent show, (laughs) uh, performing. It was a, a cover. I can't remember who, I think it was, um, a Wonderwall, a Wonderwall by Oasis cover and then i did my own song which was called i remember so clearly it is called out of time and it's about my i ha- i've had this really long running anxiety about just the fear of time running out like um, like i can't finish everything within that i can't i can't finish everything within this time frame and i have to do everything now and i've always been in this like rush to get to the finish line um and it was yeah it was kind of like this existential piece <laughs>
1: Saying bye 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 to the past what is tradition if we can
2: but it was it was really innovative i have to give myself a pat on the back cuz from my first complete song it it was in a very weird tuning um and I was just discovering all these different tunings and that you could make the guitar sound different than just the bar chords that you learn and, you know, the, like, A, E, D combination (laughs) that everybody learns all their first songs on. And I was just making such interesting sounding things then.
0: So how did you go from sounding like you were absolutely in love with making music or maybe it was just an outlet, emotional outlet for you, Um, but how did you go from that to the path to doing architecture at university or college?
2: I think it's the same exact feeling of uh, not wanting to associate, associate music with homework. <laughs> and so I was adamant that I just, I did not want to go to school for music. Um, it, it, it's always played such an important, oh, like I said, like a very therapeutic outlet for me. I don't, I just don't even know what kind of person I would be. I honestly don't even know if I'd be alive. I, I just, I can't even imagine where I would put all of my feelings <laughs> especially, you know, in my younger years. So I worked really hard in high school to get out of my hometown. I was just so, it just seemed like a big dead end at the time. Um, I was just so ready to start my adult life and never look back. And I don't know. Um, but I yeah, I worked really hard and I got a, a full scholarship to college. So It seemed stupid not to go, even though I tried to drop out a dozen times. Um, But yeah, I I scraped by and got a degree and and then I was going to go into the field of architecture and it, it just wasn't what I wanted to do.
0: So at 21, you want to be a singer and you release your first album. Um, I will not be afraid. And how did it come to be like a folk, rockabilly, country-inspired one?
2: Um, well,
0: I had actually put out an
2: album before that that was self-released um, called "America Religious," and that uh, that was also very folk kind of oriented. I, I think at the time I was really interested in storytelling. You know, in my family, all the women in my family come from the South and they're all these just master storytellers. And the music that comes out of the South, mostly the South, um, there's just so many good storytellers. That kind of led me to the great, like classic songwriters who would just, you know, play a Guitar, or just play a piano, and that's it. It's just like a voice and an instrument. Um, but I, the people that I really gravitated towards were the vagabonds, and you know the people who were traveling the world and or traveling around the country with just a, a backpack and an instrument. And I loved that. I loved that mentality, and I lived it, and I just couldn't get enough of it. So the music at the time was really reflective of the type of, of person that I found interesting, you know, and I really, I kind of just made my own little dream world (laughs) of my little vagabond dream world. I was like living in my car and it was really a really fun time. Also a very lonely time, but you know, I'm, I'm proud of those songs, even though I, I don't really listen to that style of music very much anymore. I'm, I still, it has a special place in my heart.
0: It was quite successful that album, I think it saw you on m p r around that time um, at Tiny desk, but did you consider it a success because it seems like there was some kind of disillusionment with your with with what you were doing, maybe or with your own music? Tell me what that was like.
2: I think when I put out that record, I was just in a time of really big change and honestly, I think if I had even waited another four months, I probably wouldn't have put it out at all. And, um, you know, my first album would have been my first publicly, um, kind of professionally, uh, released album. It would have sounded a lot different, but I learned a lot from it. And I, you know, I'm in a place where I can look back and be like, well, I learned a lot from that. There are definitely things I would have done differently, um, namely, and I've just recently started talking openly about this because it was really a source of pain for so long of some, sometimes I, I have, I had, I, I've stopped doing this, but I catch, I have to catch myself every now and again of being talked into changes and you really have to develop a sense of whose advice to take and and who's not to and at the time I I, I was both so combative about any changes being made because um, I was so I at the time I I didn't know anything about anything and I just thought that the the whole music industry was a big giant suit and uh and every and they were out to get me and my songs and my money and um turns out that it's not that far off, but, <laughs> uh, but there are, you know, there are good people. I think the people that I was, I was working with were not like that. Um, and so I was very combative, but th- they, there was one thing that I let them talk me, uh, into changing. And I, to this day, I really regret it. Um, cause I thought, I think it would have been a very different album. It was, um, mostly the mixes we had done these my partner and I had co-produced and co-mixed this album and it was more of like a powerful mix it would have really punched people emotionally a lot more and I think personally just sounded a lot better but I yeah I got talked out of it and and that really was the sinker for me because I I wasn't I I just wasn't I couldn't in my heart of hearts be like this is totally what I wanted you know and after that i was just like all right next time i put out a record i'm going to know exactly what i want to do and how i want it to be and i don't know i just wanted to do it differently so i i really did I, I i don't remember that album cycle being very long because i almost immediately changed my management i just changed my whole team i cut an ep myself i funded it myself and i was like this is the style that we want to i want to do It was, like, way more attitude-driven and more fun, Um, but then it, it would be, like, another four years before the album actually came out.
0: That album was loner. It had a brighter sound and was juxtaposed perfectly with her deliciously dark comedic songwriting. Lona was a treasure trove of catchy pop melodies and one of its zany standouts was soul number no. five. I love song number five on Loner, um, and I think it was probably the song that first got me really interested in oh Caroline Rose, who is who is she? Uh, you know, because it was so it was funny, it was humorous, it was goofy, and uh, but it was eloquent in what it was trying to say. Tell me a little bit about the song and the fact that it was kind of like based on the version 2.0 of an older song it's like Mm. what even like told you this is what I'm going to do now
2: the original version of that song was on the EP that I funded myself that you know got me signed to a new label and kind of revamped my whole team and um, that's what funded being able to start loner. and I think over the course of the project um because i i had originally wanted to work with this producer john congleton you know and i met with him and i was a huge huge fan of his work but i remember hit the timing just it didn't work out and i we would have had to wait a what seemed like an absolute lifetime and i just i was so ready to put music out because it had been a while in hindsight, I really should have waited because it took a lot longer to find another producer that I uh, was interested in working with. I just trial and error with so many different producers. By the time I ended up co-producing with Paul Butler, I really had a, a much closer idea of what I wanted, especially towards the end of working with Paul. I, I really, I was just like, okay, I know I know completely how this is supposed to go and and sound and by the end of it, it it just had taken so long that song in particular um soul number no. 5 was actually the fifth version of i've got soul the original um like the demo version of of that tune which was more of like a like punkier punkier version but the reason why it went through so many versions was it seemed it was too earnest like i i always wanted the song to be funnier and like more humorous and in the early versions it just felt well i remember paul saying when i was i was like oh i have all these versions of the song and he's like why don't you just just take the piss out of it i was like oh that's exactly what i need to do it was such good advice i i learned a lot from paul but i remember going in the in the to cut vocals and i just freestyled like just all the stuff on top of the melody that i had had already hammered out and it was it just seemed so what it needed to just take the piss out of it just make it goofy and weird like my like me It's still kind of like this feel-good song, but it's it's ridiculous in a way, and I I just I I liked that a lot. <laughs>
1: Do is put on this little bikini and dance. 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 On this bikini and dance, dance, dance. We're gonna fly you up to Tokyo. You're gonna travel all over the world. We're gonna put you in the movies and on TV. All you got to do is put on this little bikini and dance.
0: With songs like Money, Bikini, and Soul Number no. 5, Caroline was also poking fun at the music industry, its warped values, and the misogyny she'd encountered. Lona was also perhaps a more complete depiction of Caroline herself. Was it like you said, was it more sort of in line with your personality in in, in some ways?
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. And I, and that was something that I was really trying to keep in the back of my mind throughout the process was how can you take all these different sides of yourself, you know, cause so part of me is like a very serious person with a lot of feelings. And, you know, I have feelings of intense love and jealousy and you know, just normal human emotions that I wanted to really get across. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I deal with a lot of things in my life that are hard to yeah, you know, they're, they're just kind of hard to write about like misogyny stuff like that. That's like, it's, I don't, it's just hard. It's hard to sing about that stuff and it be something that people actually want to hear. Um, but I, I realized pretty early on that satire of singing about stuff that is really heavy with a way that, you know, you can have this like comical smile like this kind of maniacal smile on top of singing about all of this this shit that's going down so i fully embraced that and i i made sure to make that a a key part of the album throughout like a, a thread throughout
0: it you've kind of touched on it a little bit but my next question was like how is the experience of making loner different from your debut and some of the frustrations be it like garden variety or grade A misogyny (laughs) because Mm -hmm. that's just like I feel just rampant throughout the industry and people get called out more these days, which is great. How did all that sort of help you crystallize your ideas moving forward with Superstar?
2: I can say with certainty that every time I make a record, I learn an immense amount um, and build off of the last one. And, um, you know, I obviously learned so much from making Superstar because I did it myself, which takes a, oh, it takes a massive amount of of work and direction, like being a a very objective with yourself. And I I made it a point of making sure I was staying on uh, the right path the the whole time. So I, you know, have, I had this narrative in my head because I, was going through all this stuff at the time and looking back on it, I'm like, wow, I really, this album is about the dissolution of my relationship. I mean, I was making it the entire time my partner and I were to, together and it's like you can hear me unraveling in the songs and it's it's like I had some sort of, I was like, uh, I knew what was going to happen or something. It was kind of amazing. You have so much more perspective with time and I must have been onto something then when I was making it, because you know, even looking at the themes in it well, like um avoiding your feelings avoid avoiding feeling things that is something i mean literally just the other day my th- my therapist who's is quickly becoming my favorite person in the world, um she was like, You do this thing where you avoid you do anything to avoid feeling deep emotions and she, and she's so right. Cause I, you know, it hurts. It hurts so much feeling all this stuff. And I, but that, yeah, that album, it was actually very deeply personal, which is funny because I, you know, I just used this character cause I, and I just injected every ounce of me into it. Um, but I just thought it would, I wanted to like make this little movie and I didn't want a care. I didn't want the character to be me because I wanted people to be able to see themselves in, in the the person. And I thought it would be confusing if it was like a, if it was, if I made it directly about me, it, it wouldn't, I don't know. It wouldn't feel as much of like the story that I wanted to tell. It would feel more confessional to me. It was, the interesting part about the whole thing was that it was a movie in my head from the very beginning. Just things that I've experienced and that I thought would be interesting. And then I could tell my own story within the context of of this person. Yeah, I don't know. It was a very different process than Loner. like completely different. I I knew exactly what I wanted to do um, from the very beginning. And I think you know, like you were saying, like the just experiences of misogyny and just uh, everything, like all the deep kind of the topics that you don't really want to have to keep talking about. But this is, you know, this is why, this is why we're all activists, right? Like we're trying to kind of approach these subjects that are so deeply ingrained in our society. So I don't know, I I think a way that that has kind of showed up in Superstar is how I made it you know, I, I wanted it to be me. It was more interesting for me to do as much of it as I possibly could, um, rather than work with someone else to have to kind of explain what I was going for, which seemed to me an insurmountable task. Like I, I don't even know where I would begin to start describing the like weird character and this kind of, I wanted to go, I had this like, uh, narrative arc where, It wasn't like, chapter one, this is the narrative, chapter two. It was more like an emotional arc that I wanted people to feel. So you're like riding high, riding high, and then, you know, you're like flying in the sky. You're thinking you're the best. And then it's like this fall from grace.
0: Superstar begins on this high with opening track, Nothing's Impossible, which reads like a mission statement.
1: Suddenly I heard the bang, I knew it was. <laughs>
2: That was actually one of the first songs that I wrote. I did this writing trip in Austin, Texas, because I was falling in love with this um, woman. Uh, and I would do these writing sessions out there to be close to her. And so I would I'd get an Airbnb and set up all my stuff, and then I'd wake up at like 4 in the morning and start working. And that was one of the first things that I wrote just kind of on a loop and I just sort of started riffing over it. I was inspired by, um, I get these robo calls all the time. And sometimes I'll, I'll mess around with them. And I'll start like telling these, weaving these crazy stories. And I I think I was inspired by that one day because I was like, wouldn't it be funny if like the movie in my head, you know, starts from one of these, like, like a prank call from someone, like someone was goofing me and saying like, you know, all your dreams are going to come true if you just just give us your social security number and your bank account information. And here's all the success that you'll ever want and need. (laughs) And I, I, I thought that that was so funny because at the time, you know, I really, I had such a high aspiration for that record. And it's like why I called it superstar was kind of a experiment to see how, how big of a record I could make with, you know, pretty, a modest budget, and I don't have a lot of gear. It's just a small studio at the at the time in my little tiny house in Austin. And yeah, I, I guess that that song was coming from a place of not giving in to. It, I think it was just like all the years of people not believing that I could really do it. You know, not believing that I could make an album by myself, not believing that it would be really good, and you know not believing that i i'm capable of just all the stuff that i've been trying to say all these years that i'm capable of you know i'm like i've been so it took so long to get loner out and i was i was just like trying waiting for people to be like oh yeah you you are good like oh yeah all of this work and time and energy that you've put into all of the failed relationships because of all the work that you've put into your career like it's, it has a lot of value. And I was just so waiting for that to happen. And this album was kind of part of me was just like a fuck you to anybody who doesn't think that I can't do it. And, and that's really where it, that's what kicked it off. And, and after that, it was like, I was falling in love and all my, <laughs> and I, I was like, why don't, I, wouldn't it be funny if I talked about some of the anxiety in falling in love and what it means? And, all the worry and stress that comes with it and and learning how to care for a person and the sacrifices that you have to make. And I, I think I wrapped all of it up in the story. And that's really where it started. I close my eyes the
1: and there beyond the horizon I stand future
0: On the cover of Superstar's album is a plastic, overly made-up version of Caroline. I think it's kind of pretty, but she says it's almost like me in drag, because she rarely even wears makeup. She created this alter ego to tell the story of a wannabe pop star prepared to give everything up for a dream. Where I see the cautionary tale of a starlet who has the potential of, say, Britney Spears but he's weary of being a pop puppet that is used and then unceremoniously cast aside. Caroline envisioned a different persona. I'm
2: I'm always really excited to hear the way that people imagine the story and I love that because the you know the way that I was imagining it was really um I'm I'm a pretty boyish person and I I've, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely interested in like the gender exploration that a lot of people are going through now. And so, when I think of like this fictionalized version of myself, I almost think of more like a Hunter S. Thompson kind of character, who's like this weirdo that like lives in a rundown shack, and you know, with their partner who like doesn't really believe in them, and so they leave and find someone new and and then realize, like, oh, I made a mistake, which is, you know, looking looking back on all the songs that I was writing in this narrative that I was c- compiling, it was it was just really exactly what I was going through. You know, a lot of it was like a summation of trying to navigate my career and my love life, and not just my love life, but also my mental health. And I mean, it really all I I think of the last song on that album. I took her ride as the last song, and you know, there's this moment on it where I wanted it to feel like the like a like a, a rubber band snapped, and something happens to this person. You they either lose their freaking mind, and they're like off in deep space, or they come back down to earth and maybe realize that they've made these mistakes and are gonna move beyond it. And it's interesting because now I, um, I am just completely feeling that the end of, of the story, like I'm feeling that. And I, I don't know. It's just so funny because I, I wanted superstar to sort of pick up where Loner left off. And now I'm at this place where I'm like, wow, should I just keep going and just pick up where superstar lives off? Cause this is exactly how things have turned out. For
0: me. There's an artifice to the way some of these songs are written to show us that she can write a pop song as good as any on the Billboard charts. She switches between a saccharine voice and breathy R and B like vocals. That's paired with the electro and synth soundscapes that have been all the rage for top forty pop songs for years now. But there's also real heartbreak in his lyrics that go beyond just repeating a pop formula. It's the difference between an artist and someone who masters the art of imitation.
1: I really love
0: that song and just the kind of generosity that I feel is there, you know, that you're telling people shit. You know, sometimes it's just like, I, it's just too much. Yeah, mm-hmm. But it's okay to freak out, and um, and I'm going to tell you in a pop song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can tell me, like, first lyrically how you wrote that, and then did you like think about the production side as you were writing the songs, or I mean, which came first? Because the production is kind of special too. I I really love those bubble squeaky, scinty sounds. I love all that you've done there. And I am amazed that you just like did that on your own, basically.
2: Um, I remember that song in particular was one that I wrote when I was driving and I had the chorus um, and the melody. And then I built off of it when I was in the studio. Cause I, I, I like to compile all of the potential like all the little nuggets of ideas and, and I, you know, the, the narrative arc, the emotional arc of it, I'm like, okay, what type of feeling do I want to try and get here? You were saying before about um, the artifice of it. I I love artificial shit. I, I love it. If I could hear a Max Martin song with, with like a really heady story or just kind of the emotional depth that we don't often get in a lot of artificial pop songs. That is the essence of what I was trying to make right there was deeper, cheesy pop songs. And, and that was really what was moving me. I, 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 I really, that's just the way that I was being pulled, that direction I was being pulled in. And now it's funny cause I'm like in a completely different direction. I do remember wanting to make the production sound artificial and and have the lyrics and the story be really quite personal. Most of the really funny, weird synth sounds mostly stem from this one synth that I got. It was like $300 at this synth shop in Austin called Switched On. They're an amazing store. On my way out, I was like, do you guys have anything like, you know, Cheap and weird that you're trying to get rid of because I always like to throw in one thing that I'm like oh this is going to be like the weird, the weird sounding instrument on the album and maybe that's like the zany thread throughout all of it and and this ended up I th- I think it's if it's not on every song it's on <laughs> definitely the vast majority of all the songs it's a cheesy very cheesy sounding FM synth from the '80s and I I loved i just fell in love with the sound of it and i think that's really why there's like kind of an 80s vibe to a lot of the songs um which i don't don't have any problem with i think i like that
0: (laughs) towards the end of superstar The synthesizer paints moodier, more foreboding soundscapes. Command Z, the keys that allow you to undo changes on your computer, is also the title of one of the last songs. Why was Command Z say, so particularly kind of dark? Um, well, it's funny
2: because I think all the songs have a lot of darkness to them. Even the poppy-sounding ones, you know, the and I, I enjoy doing that, making fun-sounding songs with kind of serious undertones. I don't know. I mean, you have to lean in a little bit more, I think, to understand. But... Yeah, that's definitely an interest of mine, and you know, I think even a song like "Feel the Way I Want" there's an element of darkness to it. I wanted people to feel like this person's got their shit together, and and they are they're faking their way through this, like they're they think that they've got it all together, and they are completely faking it. And then you know, halfway, then three quarters of the way through the album, you you start seeing you start seeing the cracks forming and, and at that point when command Z hits, I wanted it to feel regret. I wanted, I wanted to kind of capture the regret that I've felt in the way that I've treated people. I've chosen my music and my career over the people that I've been with. And, um, and that, I still don't know if I I still don't know what the right thing to do is because you know balancing oh yeah I don't know this so such like heavy stuff for me especially right now too cuz I'm kind of like in the midst of a intense breakup so um yeah it's something that I question a lot but Kamenzi was um, ref, I was reflecting back on a moment Uh, A long time ago of feeling the weight of my decisions and that there really can be profound impacts to sort of seemingly fleeting decisions, like haphazard decisions. And those results can haunt you. (laughs) They can really haunt you for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, pipe dreams is, is also about a different type of regret. You know, it's, it's not as morbid per se, but it's definitely a reflection on just how our actions really can hurt people very, like really badly. So, um,
1: Screw
0: Sort of like the hardest lesson you've learned in this last five years? Um oh, the hardest lesson is
2: trusting myself. Just knowing just knowing that even if even if people don't like it, this is what I wanted. Like I'm doing what I have heard in my head and trusting that that is the right thing to do you know and I I this is something that I grapple with all the time is like did I make the right choice did I make the right decision and you know I'm a Libra I'm like indecision is all it's like part of the way that I operate and I'll make a choice and feel really you know I'm like okay this is how I feel this is the choice that I made and then I always kind of seem to experience this emotional whiplash of like, oh shit, did I make the right choice? Um, you know, and then I kind of go back and forth. I'm like, oh God, wait, what what did I, you know, just overthinking everything. But yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of come to terms with that. So maybe the next record will be about completely trusting myself. But I do think that that is a really valuable thing that you can only learn by experience.
0: What does it mean for you to be able to put out your music at this point in time, and what do you hope others will get from it?
2: Uh, putting putting out music in this time in particular is uh, turns out it's very bizarre. <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of people are still, a lot of people are looking to music as a source of comfort, so um, there's just like a lot of, There's a lot of hurt out there, and music can be so comforting. It has always been a source of comfort for me. So I think if it offers that to people, I would be so happy because that's what other artists have offered me through this time. The first thing I do when I'm feeling really sad or really... excited or something is i'll make a playlist or put on a record that pops into my head and pour through the, the lyrics and you know i think that, like we're all consuming art for a reason like out of a very human need
0: you've been listening to under the radar featuring caroline rose This episode was produced by me, Céline Teoblocki, and executive produced by Mark Redfin. Additional editing was provided by Azeen Samari. A big thank you to Nancy Rhodes for archival tape and Anthony Bogata for additional audio. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed magazine and website founded in 2001 by Mark and Wendy Redfin. You can find us at www.undertheradarmag.com. If you can, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash under underscore the underscore radar. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like this episode, please rate the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not subscribe to us so you don't ever have to miss an episode. Till next time.